Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. It's so fun to be here. It's so fun to preach here. Uh, I wish everybody had a chance to do that because it's just fun. It's like, man, when you're up here, you're just experiencing the Lord. And I love seeing all of you guys out here. And uh, my name is Graydon. I'm the youth pastor. I've been here almost a decade, which is crazy. And it's just, a, it's, it's, it's like family. And I also have a lot of family over here, so I'm, I'm glad about that. But um, uh, yeah, so uh, today we are continuing this series, the story we find ourselves in. We, are, we have the ambitious goal of covering the story of Scripture in just a few weeks. And so uh, today I'm, I'm preaching from Exodus through Deuteronomy, which is a lot of stuff. Uh, and, and so I, and I'm truly so excited. Like, I, I, I think I just saw the Lord this week in preparing and I, and I really want you to do the same thing. Like, I want you to see the Lord. I want you to see how good he is. Like, I'm just amazed by God in this, uh, in this, this, uh, text. And so I'm going to really be preaching Exodus. I'll just go ahead and be honest with you, but I'm going to pull in some Leviticus numbers, Deuteronomy, and see how they all fit in. Um, but I, I love this series. I love the, sto- the language of story. Um, and yeah, I just think there's something fresh. I, I'm passionate about this, and so I hope that comes through, and I also hope that you can understand me. I'm going to try and, uh, I'm going to, try and do that as well. I, I was thinking about this quote uh, coming into this morning from J- James K.A. Smith in the book, You Are What You Love. Highly recommend. Uh, he says that worship, worship restores us, but it also restories us. Uh, and, and there's something about how when we come together, when we gather, that we have to be restoried all over again. Like there's so many stories out there that we're just constantly looking for. And so this morning, I hope that we are restoried as we jump into a particular part of the story uh, in Exodus. So um, here's where we're going today. I'm going to give you my, my main points here. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about the revelation of God, and, and I'm going to be talking about uh, Yahweh's, uh, specifically uh, the revelation of God is Yahweh. I'm going to talk about Yahweh's name, uh, Yahweh's liberation of Israel, Yahweh's people, and Yahweh's goodness. Okay, so those are my four points, and, and so hold on to those things because they are a roadmap for us. And, and here's my main thing, really the sermon in a sentence. The story of Exodus through Deuteronomy is about Yahweh's name, liberation, people, and goodness, which all point toward a new Exodus in Jesus Christ, okay? This is our roadmap. Hold on to this, chew on it, and I'm gonna pray, okay? Uh, Jesus, we love you, and we want to see you afresh today, Lord. I want to see you afresh, Lord. I want to see you as we open up the scriptures, as we remember this incredible story that we are part of, Lord. We are part of this story right now, Jesus. What's happening this morning, this message, this church, this Sunday, it's part of your story. And so help us to see how we connect all the way back to Exodus, Lord. And I pray that you'd show us something fresh about your character today. Um, Lord, we want to go on this journey up this mountain with you. And when we get to the top, we want to see something beautiful. We want to see your character. So help us. Give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Okay, well, since we're in a story, let's ask this question. What's happened since the last time uh, we started, you know, or last time Jamie was preaching? Uh, we've just gone through Genesis, and we, uh, Jamie finished in Gen- Genesis 50. We've been talking about Joseph. Uh, Joseph was then the second of command in Egypt. Things to be, seem to be going really well. Um, his whole family's moving out there. Things are great until something happens, a new pharaoh and new Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, and new Pharaoh does a lot of bad things. And so new Pharaoh is very paranoid, uh, ends up enslaving a people group, Israel, the Hebrews, um, actually just out of suspicion that they could overthrow Egypt, right? Like not even something that's happened, but just a paranoia. Um, The human story continues, right? The Genesis 3 through 11 cycle of sin, this is like, it's encapsulated in this one little chapter in Exodus 1, uh, because sin is cyclical. So the question then is, what's God going to do? What's God going to do about this? Will God remember the covenant made with Abraham, right? That's kind of the question that should be on our mind. And what we find is that God continues the rescue plan. And the plan is to restore and rescue all creation through humanity, which is an audacious plan because we all know how imperfect humans are, but God loves us and God desires our love in return. And so the plan continues, okay? And so we come into Exodus and we ask, okay, well, how is God working through humanity? And before I get to Moses, because, you know, Moses is a bit of a big deal in the Bible, uh, I do wanna say, because I am a girl dad, that the first heroes of Exodus are a bunch of women, okay? So let's highlight that real quick. Um, We have the midwives who stand up to Pharaoh. We have a mother, Uh, we have a sister, we have a servant girl, we have a princess. What would the story be without these women? We, we actually don't know. We wouldn't have Moses without these women. Uh, we wouldn't have God working the same plan. And so uh, the courage of these women is incredible. And how cool is it that God was working through them even when they couldn't see it? They didn't know the whole grand story that they were gonna be writing with the Lord. And what is the Lord doing with you that you just don't have eyes to see it yet, right? And, and so that's why we're looking back, right? That's why we still look back to the scriptures because it's God's story. And when we look back, things are just a bit clearer. We can see with new eyes, right? When we look at the Old Testament through Jesus, we can see with new eyes. Um, And then, of course, we get to Moses. Moses is like this chosen leader of Israel, almost like a mediator between God and Israel, the one who leads the Exodus, who receives the law for Israel, who leads them to the edge of the promised land. Deuteronomy says that never again would a prophet arise in Israel like Moses. Whoa, that's a big deal. So we're going to be a bit studying Moses' life today as well. And, uh, and here's, here's a few things to know in the first chapters before we look at the text in Exodus 3. Um, what do we know about Moses? Well, Moses is a Hebrew. Uh, he's a baby that famously survived Pharaoh's infanticide. And his mother, Jochebed, sent him down the river with his sister Miriam following him. Uh, and then he's, he's found by an Egyptian, a, a princess. And he, he's actually raised as an Egyptian, uh, Take that, dad. Uh, uh, she, you know, dad's like, no, Hebrew babies. And she's like, here's a baby right here in the palace. Um, and, and actually, later, later on, um, we actually don't always think about this, but like Moses is really raised Egyptian. Uh, when he flees to Midian, they, this is how they describe him, that Egyptian at the well, right? So he actually like looks and sounds and seems Egyptian, okay? He's a man between cultures. He's a bridge between peoples. Uh, he's a man of double consciousness, if you will, from W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, what else do we learn about Moses? Well, he's a killer 
and a fugitive. Uh, not a good track record here. Um, he killed an Egyptian who was beating up a Hebrew worker, a Hebrew slave. Um, and so he runs away. He runs to Midian. And there he marries a Midianite woman named Zipporah, who is the daughter of a priest. So he's got some more culture coming in here. And then he becomes a sheep herder for his father-in-law. Okay, there's some background material about Moses that's actually pretty wild. He had kind of a wild life. And then, and then he just kind of hung out with sheep for a long time. Uh, and so that brings us then <laughs> to the burning bush. Okay, that's where I really want to start because I can't cover everything. I'm trying to hit the high marks of what God's up to in this story. Uh, and so we're going to op- open up to Exodus 3 if you have your Bible with you. And this is the first point here. The first point is that uh, there's a revelation of Yahweh's name, okay? This is such an incredible part of scripture that God reveals a name to Moses. Uh, And it comes through this moment of beautiful revelation, God revealing something to a person, okay? So we're gonna read Exodus 3, verses one through 12. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. Can we just say that Moses was interruptible? Like it said, he had to turn aside. He really could, he could have, he could have kept going. And I think that there's a lesson here that, again, what would this story be if Moses didn't turn aside? God would have had to find somebody else, okay? So what, what if we were interruptible people that maybe we need to turn aside sometimes when we see the work of God? Okay, verse four. When the, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Let's pause again. God is calling back to the covenants that he's made. The covenants that we've covered in the last couple of weeks, God's calling back. He's basically saying, I remember my covenant. This is who I am. I'm not just any God. This isn't just a random spiritual experience. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, keep going. Verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all of the ites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I've also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Whoa, this is an encounter with the God. 
This is powerful. This should make us pause here. And I actually want to say that uh, though Moses pushes back a bit, I do just want to say like, that's kind of a valid question uh, seeing as the last time he's in Egypt, he was a wanted for murder. So I, I do think I want to validate Moses. It's easy to be like, are you serious? Um, but but he's, he's encountering God and he's saying, I'm just not worthy. He's encountering the worthiness of God and saying, I just can't do this, right? Excuse me, right? So then in 13, uh, Moses says, says to God, you can put that up on the screen. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. This is just an unbelievable moment of encounter with God. Uh, And remember that Israel had been enslaved for generations. I mean, hundreds of years they've been in Egypt. And so Moses asks this question. He's not sure if they're going to be able to distinguish their God from all the other gods. And so Moses asks this question, what's your name? Just an audacious question. I don't know if I would ask that, you know, like, I might ask like, hey, what's the science behind the burning bush? Like what's, you know, what's actually going on here, you know? Uh, or maybe like you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confront who? Pharaoh? Um, uh, you're gonna give us a land? Like what, what are you talking about? No, he doesn't ask any of those questions. He says, uh, what's your name again? <laughs> Who's talking to me here? Um, but what, I think that's part of why God loves Moses. Like, like Moses asks really bold personal questions. And I think God honors that. Like God, God, and here's the point here. God's a personal God. God is a, Yahweh is a personal God. Yahweh wants to get in your business. And so why aren't you asking him about his business, right? God, Yahweh is a personal God and Moses asks personal questions. And so he gives this revelation. I am who I am. Or other ways to say it would be, I will be who I will be. And it's a play on words here. It's the verb to be. Like that's really who God is. God just is. God's reality. And and then in verse 15, a form of this verb then is given as a name, Yahweh. And when it's written out in all, the way it's written in our Bibles is the all caps Lord. If you see that in your Bible, that's pointing to the personal name of God, Yahweh. It was such a holy name that the Jews didn't dare say it. Uh, And so in our Bibles then, uh, it's like a pointer. It's a signpost to this is Yahweh, the personal God. And there's something about a name, there's something about a name. A name is, it's personal, it's intimate. Uh, it's, it draws on a long history, right? If I say Christina, my wife's name, no offense, but it means more when I say it, right? I'm drawing on a long history of love and intimacy with her, right? And so the fact that God has a name is just like, it blows some of our categories, but also for Moses, it's like a, oh, this is our God. God is Yahweh, he's not all the other gods. God is Yahweh. And and there's something important here. In a polytheistic world in Egypt, it's a big deal that God has a name. In our world, when God can mean literally anything you want it to mean, it's important that God has a name. It's important that we name our worship. We name our allegiance. So I don't just follow anybody. 
I follow Jesus of Nazareth. I don't just worship anybody. I worship the Lord God, Yahweh. I'm not just filled with any sort of power. I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to name our allegiance in a world today, right? Um, and so though it's not very typical for us to refer to God as Yahweh, I kind of want to enter the story a bit today, and I want to try and use that, use that name. Uh, so that's, that's our first point. Are we tracking? I want to give some pauses here and there because we're, we're covering a lot of stuff. Sweet. Okay, second point. Uh, Yahweh's liberation. Yahweh's liberation of Israel. In the next portion of Exodus, we witness Yahweh's liberation of Israel. And while the name came through revelation, this comes through action, okay? God's about to do some stuff. And he's about to call Moses to do some stuff as well. It's a conflict that seems like it's Israel versus Egypt, but really it's Yahweh versus all the other gods. The contest is on here, okay? And so let's read Exodus 5, verse 1 and 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. Okay. Here's where the confrontation starts. This is really big. Um, and, and so Yahweh sends Moses to confront, confront Pharaoh, the whole empire of Egypt, really. And Moses asks if they can go into the wilderness to celebrate a festival. Now, hold up. Some of us might read that and say, like, is, like, is that a little deceptive? <laughs> you know, like, like, was it just a festival in the, in the, in the wilderness? Like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, you sneaky little Moses. Um, <laughs> But, uh, or maybe honestly, you feel just a bit underwhelmed by that. Like, is that all you want to ask for, you know? Or what about like emancipation, you know? Um, but but I, I do want to note here that there, this is where we need a bit of context, okay? Because notice how Pharaoh responds. Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? Who's this God that you're talking about? And in Egypt, back in these days, there was this belief that slaves did not have gods, okay? And so when he's saying, who's Yahweh? He's almost saying, didn't we conquer you guys? Like, didn't we defeat y'all's God? There's this belief that, uh, that all the gods of these ancient times were warrior gods. And so if I enslaved your people, it means my gods beat your God, right? And so it's, it's Pharaoh kind of wrestling with who in the world are you talking about? Are you seriously insinuating that y'all are more than slaves? Do you really think that y'all are a people? Because I thought we settled this, right? So Moses is not just confronting Pharaoh in this moment. He's confronting the the cosmic powers at work in God's good creation. Okay, think about the the chaos cycle that we've seen already. Um, The powers at B dehumanize and try to chip away our image-bearing identity, our very humanity. And in this, this moment, this is a big confrontation. It's Moses saying, we have a God. We're more than just a slave and Yahweh's gonna show up and he's gonna show that all your gods are less than, right? And so liberation then comes through a series of 10 plagues. And again, if you're wondering why plagues, I mean, there's a lot of questions that you should have reading this. If you haven't had them, I'm like, (laughs) you haven't read it very much. Like why plagues, you know? 
And the quick answer then is that each plague was directly aimed at an Egyptian god, okay? They had many gods, and, um, and this is proving that Israel did have a god named Yahweh who's more powerful than any other god, and therefore, this is a people who are not slaves. It's God-chosen people. So for instance, Egypt had a god of the Nile. E- Egypt had a god with a frog's head. Egypt had a god with a fly's head. Uh, their main god was Ra, the god of the sun, right? You should be hearing there's plagues associated with these things. And so this is important. Imagine if you worshiped Ra, the sun god, how scared you'd be if the sun disappeared, uh, okay? Th- this, is, this is Yahweh saying, I am over all gods. There will be no god before me. You may worship gods before me, but there will not be gods before me because I am Yahweh. I am, okay? Um, so this is what's happening here. And, and these plagues are, are essentially Yahweh withdrawing protection and allowing the natural consequence of sin to occur. Remember how we talked about that sin is chaos. Well, in each plague, notice how out of balance the natural order is. Notice how chaos is reigning in each plague. Uh, and so Yahweh, this incredible liberating God, is saying, I've, I've, I've protected you. I've, I've held my protection. But let me show you what the real consequence of sin is. Right in the final plague, we have the, the death of the firstborn of every family uh, and every animal even. And it's basically, it says that the, the destroyer, whatever that is, the destroyer comes and, and does this while Yahweh protects Israel. There's a passing over, right? We're about to hit the Passover. Um, and so think of, think of this as the personification of sin, the destroyer. There's a destroyer who comes to pay the wages of sin, which we remember is? death, right? Uh, But Yahweh then is a liberator who protects and makes a way into freedom, okay? Every part of this story is trying, it's it's pleading with us to see God as God really is, to see the truth about God's character, okay? And so then we're talking about Passover, Exodus 12, if you want to turn there. Um, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's a lot of instructions, but I I beg you to go read it. It's really, really good. Um, And so here's the thing about the Passover, The Passover is a very important part of the grand story um, because it looks forward to the cross. Um, It connects with the cross in an intimate way, okay? Jesus died on the cross during Passover. Why? Why didn't he die at just any other time? Why didn't he die at other important days in in Jewish history? Why, Why didn't he die at the Day of Atonement, let's say? Right? That's usually how we think about the cross, right? It's, it's an atonement. It is. It's about forgiveness of sins. Why didn't Jesus die during those days, the most important day in the Jewish uh, religious calendar? Well, I think, though the cross is certainly about repentance and forgiveness of sins, I think that he died on the cross at, at Passover to say that this is a new exodus. The cross is a new exodus of liberation. Last time, it was about getting liberated from Pharaoh and Egypt. This time, it's all humanity from sin and death itself right? It's a new exodus. This is incredible. So look at this. At Passover, Yahweh says, uh, restart your whole calendar. What a crazy idea. Like, what if we just said, you know what? Reset. Today's day one, right? Whoa. That's, okay, there's something big's happening. Okay, if, you, if anyone ever says that to you. Uh, and think about this. At the cross, we are born again, right? We're made anew. It's a new creation. 
Okay, it's a connection here. At Passover, the, the lamb's blood is the purification over each home. At the cross, Jesus' blood purifies humanity of our sin, right? Uh, at Passover, there's specific instructions. Don't break any bones in the lamb, in the Passover lamb. And in the cross, John 19 says that those instructions were specifically about Jesus, who would not have a single bone broken in his body, though that was customary for crucifixion. Okay, so John's, John's saying, Jesus is the Passover lamb. This is the new Exodus. Don't miss this. It's right here, right? And so we, we have to think about that. Um, and so when we talk about uh, living into a new story, living into the grand story, we are basically saying we must be a people of communion. We must be a people of the table and orient our life around that what that stands for, being a people who remember Jesus and the cross, right? Uh, N.T. Wright has a great and very short book about the meaning of communion. It's called The Meal Jesus Gave Us. I highly recommend it. It's like 65 pages or something. Uh, it's really good. Uh, and so then after the Passover, Israel is finally allowed to go. And then Pharaoh chases them. Uh, and so it ends in this dramatic salvation at the Red Sea, right? We know the story. Um, Yahweh parts the parts the waters of the Red Sea so that Israel can cross to the other side. And so what might this mean when we're reading it, reading it in the light of the whole story? What is, it, what is it figurative of? Baptism, right? Just as Israel goes down into the waters and comes out on a new side liberated, then when we are baptized, we go down into the water, the crucifixion of Jesus, we come out on the other side and we're walking the liberation of Christ, right? This is important for us. The whole story is begging us to see this and say, we there's a new exodus. God is a liberator. Yahweh is a liberator. And we've experienced that in a fresh way. And I really want to drive that home here is that this is not just actions that, that God has, has made. This is God's character. Yahweh is a liberator. This is who Yahweh is. Throughout the scriptures, Yahweh is continually referred to as the one who brought you out of Egypt. Like a quick search will be like at least 100 uh, of those verses, right? Over and over, I brought you out of Egypt. I am Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. When I brought you out of Egypt, because I brought you out of Egypt. It's just all over the place, over and over and over. And this means something for us. And it means something for who God is, right? And the implications of what that means. We must remember that God is a liberator. Whatever your circumstances are today, God is saying, I want to bring you out of your Egypt I want to bring you out of your Egypt. That's just who I am. I can't stop doing it because it's who I am. I'm Yahweh. Um, and, and we have to remember it because we're prone to le religiosity, right? And we're prone to pride and, and we're prone to making it about us. And so think about that. This is what I thought about this week was that in Jesus' day, he comes to the teachers of the law and he says, you must have forgotten. He doesn't say this, but I think this is what he means. You must have forgotten that Yahweh uh, is a liberator because he says, you put burdens on people that they cannot bear. You keep laying burdens on them. Think about Exodus. Who does that sound like? Pharaoh and his taskmasters, right? And so Jesus, and then Jesus comes and reminds us that God is a liberator because he says this in his hometown sermon in Nazareth, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, jubilee, right? Okay, this is important. This is important. We have to see that God doesn't just liberate people. God is a liberator. 
And whatever doesn't match up with us, with, with our perception of God, let's bring it into alignment with how Jesus reveals God, with how the Exodus reveals who God is. I look at God in the Old Testament and I just see Jesus everywhere. And so I want that for all of us to just be in, just amazed by that, okay? Um, okay, are we tracking? Are we, are we going together? Are we on this journey together? I'm trying to take some twists and turns and keep you with me. So, um, and we're just gonna see the goodness of God in that. Okay, the next point then is Yahweh's people. Yahweh's people. So now with Israel liberated from slavery, God sets out to create a people. This is the next step. God creates a people. And this is, again, always the plan. This is the storyline from beginning to end. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. I'm creating a people. I'm marking you off. And, and the goal then is for God to have a people that fill all the earth with God's glory, to make the whole earth a temple unto the Lord. This is the plan, and this is how it ends. Spoiler alert, okay? Okay. And the primary way that, that God does this, that Yahweh creates a people, is through presence, okay? We've had, we've had the name through revelation, we've had liberation through action, but now this is creating a people through presence, through God's presence. We see this in the story, right? We've got God's presence, uh, certainly at the burning bush, but even then past uh, uh, the Passover, we've got the cloud by day and the fire by night, the presence of God leading them. We've got manna coming from heaven, We've got God coming down to Mount Sinai. We've got the Ark of the Covenant. We've got the tabernacle. There's so much of the stories about stewarding the presence of God and keeping the presence of God with them because that is what makes them a people. Otherwise, they're just like everybody else, but they're Yahweh's people. Therefore, they have Yahweh's presence, okay? And then today, us, we're still a people of the presence, right? This is who we're called to be. We're made to live by God's presence. We're, we're made to breathe by his life. Uh, we're made to create good soil for cultivating the presence of God, right? Love, mercy, hope, justice, faith, all these things. Okay, this is what it's still all about. There's a reason that Moses said in Exodus 33, God, we're not going unless you go. Yahweh, we're only gonna go if you go. He knew that they were a people of the presence of God, okay? However, it turns out that they're very much like other people and that they're not very good at keeping the presence and that they keep sinning and that even in their liberation, they keep turning back to idols, right? We know this in the story and it's just soaked throughout. I mean, I'm reading it afresh and thinking, oh my goodness. And, and though I'm so prone to judge, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's just like me. It's just like us. I'm so, I'm so like, I so waste liberation in Christ. <laughs> you know, it's just over and over and over, okay? But this is the story. So, so though they're made to be a people of the presence, God has to meet them where they're at. Why? Because otherwise we would be hopeless. This is the plan. God's working through humanity. So God meets them where they're at. And, and therefore, though it's the presence that sets them apart, God also gives them a law to mark them out as his people, okay? I'm gonna unpack this a bit. We're gonna spend quite a bit of time here and I just want you to put your thinking caps on and stick with me. We're gonna go, we're gonna go into the law, okay? We're gonna try and understand the purpose of the law here together, okay? I'll make a note to um, just the, the wilderness time. Numbers is a great book to, to talk about the wilderness time. The adventures and the misadventures of Israel, that's what Numbers is about, okay? Uh, and, and so the, the journey from Egypt to wilderness to promised land is just wild, 
I mean, it's crazy. Um, and so, yeah, get, get some more of that and you read through that. It's really good. Okay, we're going to unpack the law. For those of us, which is everybody, uh, who thousands of years apart from what happened here, where many cultures separated from these events, uh, I found it common to have a very simple view of the law because we're just not the people of the law. We don't quite, it's hard for us to get into it, okay? Um, and so a common way maybe that you've heard it explained is, is, is this, God gave Israel the law, like a handbook of righteousness. They couldn't follow the law because it was too righteous. So Jesus came to set us free from the law's demands, uh, meaning we might still be trying to follow it if Jesus hadn't set us free, right? That's a, that's a very like broad, sweeping, simplistic way to describe that. But here's the thing, is, here's why it's tricky, is because that's so almost true and there's like truth in there. It's just not the fullness and it's not quite what the story reveals about the law, okay? So stick with me, come with me on the journey here. Um, the law, the law called Israel to have no God before Yahweh. So obviously, yes, it is too perfect for us, right? We all make idols all day long. You probably made an idol this morning, actually. FYI, if you didn't realize that, everyone's like, oh no, what have I done? Uh, um, we're constantly doing that. So yes, of course, it's too perfect for us. Um, however, the law is again more complex because if we teach that the law is God's perfect eternal ideal or that it's, it's about just individualistic righteousness, we're, we're, just, we're speaking from outside the story in, okay? And so we want to come into the story and really understand what's going on here. We need to back up and ask what's the purpose of the law. So here are a few points. Here's the first one. The law primarily was a marker for Israel as distinct from all other peoples, okay? This is who we are and this is how we do things. This is who we are, this is how we operate. You could think of the 10 commandments as almost like a binding charter of this new people. This is how we're gonna live. This is what we're gonna abide to. Um, it's, the law is community formation, it's, it's creating a community, this people called Israel. Um, and, and again, of course, Israel turns out to be just like everybody else. Um, but the law is supposed to mark them off as distinct if they would follow it, right? It's like when I tell my kids, hey, we don't hit each other. And they're like, really, dad? You know what I mean? Like, um, so we do hit each other, but we don't. You know, like we're not supposed to. You know, it's who we are, you know, uh, all this stuff. Um, and so uh, God, but God's committed to working the rescue plan through imperfect people. And so he's restoring through humanity. Therefore, he's going to give them this law to mark them out as a distinct people and say, this is my rescue plan. I'm working through you. Not just everybody else, but I'm working through you. Uh, and so here's how we're gonna, we're gonna stay uh, distinct. But remember their primary calling. The Abrahamic covenant came before the law. This is their primary calling. Um, it came first and it's eternal. It's not temporary. It's not going to pass away. Um, and so that's their, their primary calling. So though they are set apart, it's not so much an exclusion from, but a chosenness on behalf of all people, okay? And so we're set apart on behalf of all people, to be a signpost people who are pointing towards the true way of being human and towards Yahweh, okay? So this is what's going on in the law. And here, there, we'll, go to, we'll transition to, uh, here's why it's not so much God's perfect righteousness or ideal for humanity for all times, okay? Uh, because Israel was like everyone else and, and God is missional. God is meeting us where we are. God is pursuing humanity, never gives up on that. And so God met them where they are with the law saying, essentially, as much as you can understand who I am, I will give it to you. 
as much as you can understand. I'm here. I'm giving it to you. But I've got to get you until Jesus comes and reveals the perfect image of the invisible God, right? And so this law is part of that. It was given within a particular culture and a particular time in a way that they could understand. And because the primary goal of the law was not just a perfect ideal righteousness, it's marked with things that God accommodated to them, right? An example, animal sacrifice, slavery, Polygamy, family laws, beating and stoning and warfare, all these things that are not the heart of God, they're in the law because God met them where they were, right? And did not expect them to have a clear vision of who God was uh, at the first moment they met him, right? Um, And so seeing the law as a moral handbook is just really confusing. If you read Exodus through Deuteronomy, uh, it leads to uh, a lot of questions. I've seen a lot of people uh, have a struggle with that. I've seen too many people actually walk away from Jesus because they were given faulty tools to understand the scriptures. And if you're feeling that way, I'd love to sit down with you and talk to you how you can see Jesus all over this, how how it can be life-giving. I'd love to sit down with you, walk with you through that. Um, but, But I know that this can come as a shock if we've just never thought about it before. Or maybe we've just been given those little one-liners of, well, the law was too perfect. And that was literally our whole, how we learned about the law as a kid. Um, And and maybe we just never read it. We've never read it before. That's also, maybe you're confused because you've never read it before. Um, But I I do even want to say, I want to argue even from within the scriptures that they themselves do not point to the law being about performing works to receive justification. Um, the Abrahamic covenant uh, is, is obviously, it precedes that. It's God saying, I'll be faithful even when you're faithless. Exodus 24 says that even the law is a covenant. Even the law is a covenant. It says, this is a covenant. It's not a contract, okay? And so it's, it's God being faithful no matter what. It's not about making us perfect righteousness, right? Um, Paul, a trained Pharisee, wrote in Galatians 2.16, we Jews know that we are not justified by the works of the law, right? So he's saying this like, this is self-evident. We know that the law was not about making us perfect, righteous people. It wasn't always God's every single ideal. And so the law is more than just individual moral actions. Uh, It's not filling up our moral piggy bank, right? It's not as if we would still be following this. It was for Israel. It, It wasn't for us. It was for Israel in their day. But I will say this, the true character of Yahweh is there's so many glimpses, shining glimpses of it throughout the law. So don't hear me say it's all good or it's all bad. It's, it's these gl- shining glimpses of God saying, this is who I really am. It's all throughout the law. Um, and so while the purpose wasn't God's eternal ideal, right? Because Jesus hadn't come yet, right? If it was the eternal ideal, it, it would not have passed away. It wouldn't have been p- fulfilled, um, but it gives us these glimpses, right? Jesus sums up the law by saying, love God with everything and love your neighbor, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 8, Leviticus 19, 18. Uh, wherever that anchor is manifested in the law, it's a glimpse of Yahweh, praise God. It's so good. There's so many things, like examples here. The Sabbath, uh, jubilee, worshiping Yahweh, resisting idolatry, uh, justice in the community, limiting vengeance, demonstrating that sin leads you to death. And so we need boundary lines. Those are revelations of who God is and what God requires of us, okay? So I'm not saying that none of it's the eternal ideal. I'm saying that there are glimpses where we see the beauty of God and say, oh my gosh, I love you so much. God, you're so good. Um, and so 
wherever that anchor is then blurry, it's because we're sinful and limited. And we remember that Jesus Christ is the true image of the invisible God. It's why we interpret all of scripture through Jesus revealing who God really is. God is Christ-like. And there are so many ways to see that through the entire scriptures, the Old Testament included. I could say more about that, but let's keep going. Um, I wanna wrap it up here like this. I'm trying to describe the law, how Paul describes it in Galatians 3, okay? Galatians 3, 21 through 26. The law was a pedagogos, a a sort of guardian or tutor that would be over a child until they reached maturity, okay? Um, And the law had an important purpose, a, a very important purpose. It's why Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law because it had a very important purpose. It's part of our story and that is good, So Jesus came to fulfill it, but fulfillment implies purpose, good, and completion. There's something else that we need to be doing, right? Um, And so it's not as if God tried and failed to rescue creation through the law. That did not, that's not what happened. God didn't try something and it failed. It was a part of the story. It was a part of the purpose. It created a people and in Jesus Christ, it's fulfilled, right? The end of Deuteronomy really highlights, I guess, what I've been preaching. And Deuteronomy is essentially a restatement of the entire law and who the people of Israel are. It's Moses saying to the people, hey, let's remember who we are. Let's remember this covenant with God. Um, And it ends in Deuteronomy 28 through 30 with two ways, a way of blessing and a way of curse, okay? The way of blessing is to follow God, to follow God's ways, to be a people of the presence who were meant to be image bearers. So good. And then there's a way of curse. And the way of curse is basically saying, if you want to be like everybody else, let me tell you where it's gonna go. If you really want to not be a people of the presence and go your own way, if you don't wanna abide by the law that separates you from from other people, you can be like everybody else. But what happens is idols and kings and warfare and economic injustice and slavery and political treaties through marriage becoming an empire. And it's almost like God is saying, oh, what's coming is exile. What else could happen? If you want to act like everybody else, here's what happens to everybody else. They destroy each other. They get exiled. Don't go that way. Come down the path of blessing with me. Don't try to be like everybody else. Be my people. Be my people. And, and so here's the good news, guys, is that Jesus then comes and fulfills this whole thing. Jesus comes and God incarnate and he goes down the path of curse to be a curse, to bring it to an end. And then he resurrects and says, come with me down the path of blessing. I've brought you in. That is really good news. And you know why it's good news? It brings us full circle. And so now we can be a people because of God's presence. No longer the law. We can go back to what we were made for, that we're a people of the presence of God, but we don't even need tabernacles or arcs of covenants anymore. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We're a people of the presence. The presence of God is in me. The presence of God is in us. And so we're, we're returned back to where we were meant to be. The full story reveals that the law was the boundary line of Israel meant to set them apart until the time of Jesus's incarnation and life and death and resurrection and ascension. And then all nations are invited to Yahweh's throne, right? That's really good news. That is the story. That's the full arc that we're really in. I'm gonna give us a pause real quick. Are we tracking? Are we, are we going? That was a lot of stuff. 
All right, our last point here. And this is a good place to end. Uh, the, the last point here is Yahweh's goodness. Yahweh's goodness. Oh my goodness, Yahweh is so good. Yahweh is so good. The last point here, and I just wanna, I wanna encapsulate it with this verse, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Coming in Exodus 33 and 34. This is where we see once again, this encounter between God and Moses that teaches us who Yahweh is. It's, it's not even a glimpse, it's a shining, a glimmer, a, a sunlight ray of who God is. And so I'm gonna start by reading Exodus 33, uh, 18 through 19. And I forgot to turn there. Uh, here we go. Uh, this is Moses with the Lord. Um, and, and here's what he says. Uh, Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And he said, and Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Again, Moses with the bold personal questions. I wanna see your glory, God. I don't just want a little bit. I want to see you. And, and so he sets up this incredible moment. Here's what Yahweh does. He sticks Moses in the cleft of a rock so he can't see Yahweh's face. He says, otherwise you're gonna die. So I'm gonna stick you in the cleft of the rock. And he says, I'll let you see my back. It's kind of hilarious. It's a little bit of a personification of God here. I'll let you see my back. You can, you can handle that. Uh, you can't handle the face. Um, and, and so then it comes in this, this incredible declaration of God's character. And I want you to listen to this passage. I want you to do whatever you need to do to really, really hear it. Like, like hear it with creative, redemptive imagination, okay? Exodus 34, six through eight. The Lord, Yahweh, passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. What a proper response. This, I remember reading this in college and, and just having like, I felt like I saw the Lord afresh for the first time, first love kind of thing. And just thinking, oh my goodness, this is who you are. So let me walk through the attributes real quick as we finish up here. Uh, merciful and gracious. This is who God is. This is who Yahweh is. Yahweh's merciful. Yahweh has grace. Grace is not just a New Testament thing. <laughs> it's everywhere. God is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. There's never been anyone more patient and slow to anger than God. And that runs counter to so many of our portrayals of God, of God's just like all those other gods, those pagan gods that get mad. Let me just figure out what kind of sacrifice I can get to make him happy. God's not like that. God is slow to anger. God is a God who makes a way and lays down his life for his enemies in Jesus Christ. Yahweh is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's not trying to like muster up love for us. He's abounding in it. Uh, he's faithful to covenants, even when we're faithless. Love for the thousandth generation, that's approximately 25,000 years. What's the point here? It's never ending. The end, to the end of your family, I will love, right? Um, forgiving sin, even when we don't deserve it, Yahweh says, I will be the judge of that. 
I will be the judge of that and I will forgive, right? And then on that last line, yet, yet not clearing the guilty with sin manifesting for generations, that doesn't discount what I just said about forgiving sin, okay? I think what's going on here is Yahweh is a God of justice who will make things right, uh, God's not just gonna let things be wrong forever. And also I think God really wants us to know the consequence of sin that is cyclical and generational. It's gonna keep on going if we don't deal with it, if we don't receive the forgiveness from God. Uh, and so this is a glorious parting of the clouds to see who God is. This is what Yahweh is like, amen? Amen, amen. all right, please stand up. We're gonna respond to the Lord. Worship team can come on up. Uh, ministry team can come on up. I went a, a little bit long today, so uh, grace and mercy for me, please. Uh, uh, so we're gonna respond in a couple ways. Here, here's what I felt like the Lord was saying this morning, really something along the lines of each of these points. And um, uh, if you need to get your kids, please, please do that. Um, but uh, here, here's some ways to respond. And maybe this relates to someone in the room. Uh, I think some of us need a revelation about God as a personal God, a burning bush moment, a revelation of God's name. Some of us need that this morning. Um, some of us need liberation from our own personal Egypt, okay? We all need to be liberated afresh. Um, some of us need to commit to joining the people of God, to placing ourselves and planting ourselves within the people of God. And I think that some of us need to see God's goodness in a fresh way, to let that goodness pass before us this morning. And so maybe it's one of those, maybe it's something else. We would love to pray over you this morning. And so please respond to what the Lord is doing in your heart. Let me pray and then we'll have some ministry. Jesus, we love to see you. We love to see you in the story. Thank you for the story that we're a part of this morning. Give us fresh eyes to see it, to see that Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're just, they're glowing with your character. Um, and so I pray that you'd meet us here just like you met Moses so many years ago uh, this morning, right here, right now in Jesus' name, amen. Please come get prayed for.